Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI techniques, can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. Like many people, David struggled with the odd night of poor sleep every now and again. But three years ago, a night of absolutely no sleep led to sleep-related worry and the fear that he had lost the ability to sleep. This led to more nights of bad sleep and many nights of no sleep whatsoever, and this compounded the problem. Eventually, David discovered that it was his worry and obsession with sleep that was perpetuating his insomnia. His recognition of this, along with the implementation of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI, and mindfulness techniques, helped him get his sleep back on track. A full transcript of this podcast can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. So first of all, David, thank you for, for joining us today on the podcast. Okay, thank you. So let's start right at the beginning. Tell us a bit about when sleep became a problem for you. Are you, are you able to recall what initially triggered your insomnia and how long ago did this all, this all begin for you? Well, in a major way, it started uh, about, it was about three years ago, actually, around now. Yeah, two years, 11 months, three years ago. Um, and I, uh, I, had a, I had occasional problems with not being able to sleep very well before that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on from the odd evening, odd night, uh, and um, but the first time it was about half a year before it started in a big way, and I went through a whole night without any sleep. But there'd been a few times as I was growing up when I couldn't sleep for a long time. You know, and the funny thing was, my dad was suffering from insomnia, and I think I heard him not talk about it when I was young, little. I mean, from the age of about eight, and I think that was in the back of my mind. Mm. But the thing that really started it in the modern time, so just three years ago, um, was I had. Um, I had this asthma developed. I never had asthma before, and um, uh, it was crazy, crazy. And I was, I thought, well, what is this? And I'd go and play football. So I play football a couple of times a week, and I um, would really struggle to be breathing after it, you know. And I thought, stressed. And eventually, and this went on for quite a while, and um, and then it went, you know, it got really bad, and I, I, I found I couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep through the night. And I was also quite worried about it, and it took bit longer than it should do to sort of figure out what it was and I was all a bit shocked to have asthma anyway I'd never had it before and um, so I had my first proper um, well, I had another sleepless a night with no sleep at all and then I had a couple of these and that seemed to and I got the asthma sorted out but the sleep problem remained and I'd have the occasional nights where um, well sometimes a bit more than occasional where I'd have a whole night where I didn't sleep at all and um, and I'm beginning to think I've lost the ability to sleep you know so anyway mm. that was a, that was the start of it and that was about three years ago now that it started um and with and it started with asthma although i had had the occasional night of non-sleep before mm-hmm. that but not very many and that was when it started and you know and it got um quite bad started getting quite bad then 
Yeah. So, you know, it's quite quite a typical pattern. A lot of people can identify, you know, that first night or that first string of nights and recognize the worry that caused. And that thought, you know, have I lost the ability to sleep? That is just so right. common, you know, and I just think yeah. that thought alone just really perpetuates sleep issues for so many people. So um, I think it's really helpful that you just even use that as an example, just so we can reassure people who are listening to this podcast that we never lose the ability to sleep you know we can definitely make sleep more difficult for ourselves you know when we're anxious about things or when we have high levels of stress it's definitely more difficult to sleep and that's actually intentional it's like the body's way of protecting us from a perceived threat you know it's kind of this um, evolutionary uh, reservation of powers so to speak you know like you don't want to be falling asleep if you're in a cave with a saber-toothed tiger around outside you know so as soon as you feel worried the brain will kind of suspend spend sleep but we never lose that ability you know eventually even even if we have no sleep like zero minutes of sleep for let's say four days we will eventually sleep at some point uh because we it's just a core biological function that we never lose uh the ability to to sleep you know what in fact you really hit on the head there in fact that statement you've made or some of them that um you cannot lose the ability to sleep you will sleep in the end it's natural no matter how stressed you get, how worried you're about anything, core biological function, all that stuff you just said. That was, I mean, there's not that many things. That I've read an awful lot. I'm a voracious reader. I'm a writer as well. Mm. Maybe you'll mention that later and plug me a little bit. Absolutely. But I'm, 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 you know, I've researched and researched what, what is going on. And one of the things was, you wrote that, and it's so true. And it's, you know, because I thought I had lost the ability to sleep. And I kind of believed your words, but in the end, the thing that convinced me, you know, Martin, I hate to say this, was mm. I took suffering for, but having gone through this frequent nights of little sleep for two and a half years, and eventually thought, you know what, if I don't sleep one night at all, I will sleep the next. And I just thought, and I wrote down a little diary, every, and every time it happened, I just could not keep my eyes away. Um, but I realized you cannot lose your ability to sleep, and it's, um, you're right. And uh, if you don't, you just have to just the next day get through it. Mm. I got the ability to sleep will come. It will come. And it's so true what you say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's almost like there's that silver lining because when when we're up at night struggling with sleep, it's awful, right? But we have the, if I just want to share that knowledge, you know, that every, every night of struggle, like if that say there's a string of bad nights that just, it just exponentially, it just compounds and increases the chance of sleep coming on the next night. You know, it just becomes more and more likely because that sleep drive is always building. The only time that it might continue to be a problem is if you try compensating for that bad night of sleep, you know, by maybe lying in bed all day the next day or just trying to conserve energy or canceling plans just because then you might just start to reduce that sleep drive through inactivity or you might nap during the day, you know, and that kind of just keeps you firmly grounded in square one. So it really is a case of just trying to keep your days as normal as possible and just rely on your body's natural ability to sleep which never ever goes away totally yeah totally agree in fact one of the things you couldn't actually do after my nil sleep i guess i started at the point where i think you know what i can actually look forward to it tonight because i mean because actually eventually i realized i couldn't get two in a row i I do read by the way on your forum (laughs) sadly there are a few people who claim they get 
two in a row, but I never had. And um, I could then look forward yeah, every night of no sleep, or the longer you didn't sleep, the much the more likely it was. But it took me, actually, despite your words, it took me years, uh, two years and a bit, two and a half years to realize, yeah, that's just so true because it's happening every time. Didn't sleep one night, I would, or had a very little sleep, I would always just keel right over and sleep the next one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's normal, you know, because when, when we have insomnia or anytime we're dealing with a problem, our, our brain wants to just focus on that problem. It, it very rarely looks at the bigger picture, you know? So mm. when we have this fear that we've lost our ability to sleep, that's what our brain will focus on. And it, and it yeah. takes like a conscious effort. Even if we read stuff, it still takes a conscious effort for us to take that step back and think, all right, well, is this really accurate? Have I actually lost my ability to sleep and look for evidence that you haven't because all your brain wants to do is look for evidence that you have and kind of problem solve based on that so it really does take this conscious effort and it it can take time just to have that kind of breakthrough insightful moment you know like you described it took a couple of years for you to just yeah. just recognize that my wife would tell me you're going to sleep tonight I wouldn't believe it. Eventually, of course, it was so true. <laughs> and I started doing this diary, and, and then I would write down what happened when I did. And I just, you know what, I wrote it down. You couldn't, you just could not keep your eyes open. You tried to sit up and watch something exciting, watching a football match on the telly, but you'd fall asleep. It would just take mm. you over because you can't go to, well, I couldn't go two nights with no sleep. And just, eventually, the sleep drive would come. And once I realized that, that was part of it. That was the part... That was part of part of the path to redemption, mm -hmm. actually, into to, you know, to making making life better. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that. So three years ago, you know, it stemmed from this one night, and it kind of snowballed from there. What do you think? Yeah. Kind of progressed it because we all have bad nights every now and then right what do you think progressed it from just like this one or two bad nights to becoming a problem that lasted in your case for a number of years i think i just spend the next whole day thinking about, about it i always feel after mm -hmm. a night of no sleep i'd always feel quite bad i feel like there's tightness in the chest and everything and, and of course it's hard not to think about mm -hmm. that you know and particularly in the early part of the day it would be this feeling of, I mean, actually feeling quite depressed, really, and this tightness in the chest, and, and then thinking about it, oh, what's it going to be like, what's it going to be like tonight, and this, this exacerbated it. I think all that, all that um, you know, did exacerbate it, really, and that's what made it worse. And then, you know, I got, and the worst it was, it's sometimes of the eight or nine nights in a month where I didn't sleep at all, mm. nil sleep. Um, and... Um, you know, to be specific about it, because I do realize that some people think they have a problem if they've got like five hours and, you know, and other people seriously have even worse than me. But ultimately, you do sleep in the end. But that was how it got. It, was, it went on. There was a few months. I mean, it varied up and down, and you know, sometimes five nil sleep nights in a month. Sometimes the highest was nine, mm. you know, and like most, I think like most people who are stuck with insomnia, because I like relentlessly, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, control things. I write it all down, a record of it. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was recorded down. <laughs> like, right. Not a very, probably not a very good thing to do, but I did. I think, again, that's just one of these normal things. You know, as soon as we become concerned about something, it's just natural yeah. that we want to either record it so we can notice trends, you know, and analyze it. Think, yeah. spend a lot of time thinking about it. I think that's all completely normal, but it's definitely something that when it comes to sleep, it can yeah. often be unconstructive because the more time we think about sleep, it kind of implies we're kind of training ourselves that sleep is something that we can control when really we can't, you know, we 
can set the stage for sleep, but in terms of I'm gonna click my fingers and make myself fall asleep and I'm gonna sleep X number of hours, wake X number of times during the night and wake at yeah. X time in the morning on the dot. We have no control over yeah. any of that. And yeah, so it's and it's normal to have these thoughts, you know, and, and that tightness in the chest and this feeling of a depressed mood, that's yeah. all really actually quite normal too because we often will monitor for the results of a bad night of sleep. You know, so if we have a bad yeah. night or no sleep, as as you experienced, then we we monitor our body. You know, like okay, that that was an awful night. How am I feeling? You know, and you're actually specifically looking for these effects in your body. Um, and yeah. we can, when we do that, we can notice things that we've never noticed before. Some people describe it, you know, as that tightness in the chest. Others describe it as, uh, I found it, my breathing was really weird, you know, because just because you're paying more attention yeah. to how you breathe, you know, you're focusing your attention yeah. on every in-breath and every out-breath and maybe trying to pace it or control it. And, you know, and, and so you just, you just become this hyper-aware, you know, it's this hyper-arousal, which is present in yeah. every case of insomnia and so as i think you you recognize you know you're focusing on that and that just increases your worry about sleep and you think more about sleep and maybe even just become more obsessive about sleep and that ends up just compounding the problem and making sleep more difficult yeah that's true absolutely right and i should by, by the way add that there were three other I suppose, pillars really that helped i think i just think there might be others but um I think I, I like um, many aspects of cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, especially sleep restriction. When it was very bad, sleeping, keeping the sleep restriction, it's, 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 it's paradoxical, but that, that helped. Uh, but I also like adding into the CBTI and sleep restriction approach, you know, which I'm, you know, I'm sure you'll talk about in a minute, was also a, a big chunk of sort of, you know, mindfulness or sort of exceptional acceptance commitment therapy, but basically it's mindfulness. And there's some principles of that as well. That all helped too combining all that together with that all was, was all a good help yeah I, w I think it's yeah good. i definitely want to talk more about that in a previous podcast episode i spoke to a psychologist specifically about act or this acceptance and commitment therapy and how to kind of use it in yeah. conjunction with cbti and i thought that yeah. he gave this really good his name is nick wignall um he gave this really good insight where he kind of associated like cbti as like the core you know that's like the foundation that's where it's usually very helpful to start and then with yeah. act with act it's kind of more this more advanced level uh, because mm. with act it's more accepting your current circumstances yeah. right so if you're having a night where you can't sleep it's more a case of okay look i have no control over this um, i'm struggling to sleep right now and just kind of being comfortable with your current situation yeah. and your current thoughts. And for someone that's been suffering with insomnia, if that's the first thing you tell them to do, I think that's a really hard, um, yeah. it's a hard sell, you know, to say, oh, you have insomnia, that's okay, just accept it and welcome it. You know, so I think yeah, that yeah. it is really helpful when used in conjunction with CBTI. And I'm kind of finding that reading in the Insomnia Coach Forum too. the people that tend to be successful with ACT are the people that started out with CBTI or are combining some yeah. elements of CBTI with with the acceptance techniques. I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, do you know what? I always think. I must plug this, but I think it's good. This is John Kabat-Zinn video, 28-minute one. 
and called John Kabat-Zinn talking about seven attitudes of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And I've read, I'm, I went on an eight-week course all about mindfulness, and it was all right. Mm -hmm. And I'd go up there every every Saturday up to central London and do it. And so, so, you know. But really, that, that 28, 28 minute video about attitude, seven attitudes of mindfulness really helps. But it, you're right, it did, I did add that on after doing a bit of CBTI. I love, I love the CBTI things. You know, it's good. And um, with a sleep restriction as well, when it was bad to build up my sleep drive. And the key elements were mindfulness was acceptance, as you say, non controlling, letting go, being in the moment, and trusting in yourself. Once you read about that, it's just like it just—it really helps to add on. I think it goes really well with CBTI. Mm -hmm. Actually, it does. I mean, it doesn't it? Doesn't con contradict it. It's just—it's—it's it's an additional thing. But I think you're probably right. It's probably hard to just say, "Oh, we'll just accept it," isn't it? For someone who's really struggling. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, you've got cancer. Just accept it. Mind you, you got sometimes. Here's the thing, though. So, insomnia. Just go. Oh, you've got insomnia. It could be worse, right? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it could be the C, and it isn't. So, in some ways accepting it is maybe part of, part of it. Yeah, you know, and I think you made a really good point because every now and then I'll get an email from someone and they'll say, well, I've heard of ACT, uh, ACT. Uh, which, which should I, what should I do? Uh, is it better to go with CBT or ACT? You know, so many acronyms. Um, yeah. And I say, well, they're really actually quite similar. Um, it's only yeah. really is the stimulus control component, which is tends to be different you know so with cbti generally speaking we say if you're in bed tossing and turning feeling anxious and frustrated it's usually best to remove yourself from that situation and just get out of bed until you feel relaxed and sleepy again before returning to bed whereas act is more about kind of accepting the current situation just seeing if sleep returns and but the the yeah. way I tend to implement these CBTI techniques in relation to stimulus control is I I like to start people with get out of bed if you're finding it really difficult and you're feeling uncomfortable and stressed and frustrated and anxious but if you are feeling calm then there's yeah. no need to get out of bed you know so it totally the, the, it's really they're really quite similar in that in that regard I think and for to think that it has to be one or the other is the wrong way of approaching it. I think they both are really complementary to one another. So I agree. Here in Britain, on the under our National Health Service, when you because I've been through that too with them, in two sessions of this, um, they 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 don't have any of this. They don't. They don't, they just say you should get out of bed. And I I think it depends on the person and how you feel, as you said. But we, here in Britain, they follow this um, Colin Epstein's approach in this book, yeah. Overcoming Insomnia, and I. And, you know, I'd, I've got a couple of issues with some of the things in this book, but one of the things is, yeah, you should always get out of bed after 15 minutes. And one, I think, watching the clock for 15, 15 minutes is very short. Second, watching the clock isn't good. Third, you know, it, you know, it's just how you feel. If you feel you can accept it, accept it. But they, in here in the NHS in Britain, if you're, if you're a British listener to this, then I, mean, I, I found that that's too prescriptive. And I think if you can accept it and be there and be calm, then fine, stay there. If you don't and you're really getting fed up with it, get up and watch Watch a watch a nature program or a repeat of something funny like Bad's Army. British people know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> Coronation Street, one of our great soaps. 
that'll make you fall asleep maybe or just relax (laughs) yeah exactly and you know i think that's you touched upon an important point there is we can't be too prescriptive you know as providers or as coaches you know it really has to be uh, a two-way relationship and so for example myself as a coach if i'm working with someone and they've been trying getting out of bed for a couple of weeks and they're really like struggling with it and they feel it's not helping then you know that's when we can modify things and say well how about we try just sitting up in bed you know just removing you from that uh sleep i like to say going from sleep mode to wake mode so when you're lying down in bed that's sleep mode but when you're sitting up in bed and reading a book or something like that then that's your wake mode and then when you feel relaxed and sleepy then you can lie back down so you're still kind of trying to avoid associating lying down in bed with all these negative emotions and wakefulness but you're not actually forcing yourself to get out of bed at the same time Um, so just staying really prescriptive and saying no you must get out of bed no matter what it doesn't work for everyone you know and it's really important for providers um, and and people that have insomnia when they're looking for providers or working with people you know to express your concerns because it really should be this collaborative relationship with whoever you're working with and there should be modifications made and there should be consideration to your own circumstances being made because otherwise it just it makes it makes it hard to progress when it feels very top down you know would you agree with that yeah totally that was different that's the approach they have in britain unfortunately they insist on you getting out of bed after 15 minutes it is quite nuts but that's what they say colin epsey's books goes on about that also in his book he says oh if you don't um don't worry you'll sleep in the end they go no actually colin i have nights where i know for a fact i didn't don't sleep at all as i know many other people on your forum have so that's not right either you know you will you will sleep in the end no not necessarily mr epsey but unfortunately this is the approach the nhs in britain has but i think it's right you've got to be you've got to either accept you know um either or um, I, I sometimes i in the middle of the night now i might be awake for it but i'm much calmer about it now I'll just get up and watch a bit of TV, mm-hmm. you know, after half an hour, I'm fed up with it. But sometimes I can just lie there and accept it. Usually I do the latter. But then I am much more on the road to recovery, and it's much easier when you're on the road to recovery to just accept it. And um, the other thing, of course, is to do, is to, I, I do, I heavily, I really agree with this, reducing the stimulus in the evening. I don't look at any computer screens. I do watch TV. I find that makes me fall asleep. I have a nice warm bath. I have a relaxing time. You know, I don't do anything I won't watch a thriller or anything mm. like that. It'll always be something lay, lay back, you know. And if I go out for a night out and I'm chatting with my mates and I'm a few drinks, I'm, I'm very wired. Then sometimes I have to come down and just, just chill out and watch TV for an hour. And if, it's, if that takes me till 2 a.m. in the morning, well, so be it. That's, that's the way it is to have that calm down that's important for me too yeah absolutely and you know so many people uh with insomnia because they're fed all this this sleep hygiene advice which we know for a fact doesn't work for people with chronic insomnia it's it's kind of they've moved past that um is they have this fear or concern about things they're allowed to do in the evening you know like i i want to watch tv i used to love watching tv before bed but i can't do that anymore you know, that's a common question. I That's a common statement I hear. So then I say, well, why can't you watch TV yeah. anymore? Oh, that's what I read. I, the sleep hygiene advice says you can't yeah. watch TV at night. And, you know, it really doesn't matter what you do at night. I like to, I'm a big fan of that, you know, roughly like a one hour buffer zone before you plan on going to bed, you know, but all you do during yeah. that time, no specific activities. It's just 
anything that you find relaxing and enjoyable. So yeah. if that's watching TV, great. Like you said, probably not a good idea to watch like a thriller or something that's going to be upsetting. Yeah. Um, but yeah. anything that you enjoy, if you enjoy watching that, I had a client that used to love painting um, and she stopped doing that in the evening because she became concerned that that would be too, you know, cognitive, it would cognitively arouse her, you know, it would keep her mind active when she wanted it to be winding down. Um, and so these are all understandable understandable why we would do these things but we're kind of taking away all those enjoy all those things we enjoyed in response to the insomnia in an attempt to make it better but it just makes us more miserable and that actually makes our sleep worse yeah yeah i haven't really changed that much it's just just chilling out and watching tv Mm -hmm. but yeah you can't be too too prescriptive i think having a big meal as well late but you know it's whatever works for you but i don't do too much i've got to say as well to people as well yeah, you get often get this advice in that you know our quality newspapers. I often have a whole big thing about sleep. You know, here we'll have it in the Times or the Daily Telegraph, and you might have it in the New York Times, or whatever. All that stuff. Just don't read it because most of the advice in there is just it's just it's really it's really naughty and Janet and John stuff. And it for people who've got real insomnia, most of it is 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 rubbish. And they often and they often um, they conflate insomnia with people who don't get enough sleep who mm-hmm. don't get enough sleep because they're too busy working and they don't understand the difference oh, yeah. and um you know, I just, so i just say to you do you really i wouldn't read it people sometimes my aunt sends me this stuff something in the, in a, the daily telegraph here's something i'll post it to you because she doesn't do the internet <laughs> i get it and most of it i've read it all before most of it's freaking crap but particularly yeah. this bit about oh you got to have eight hours of sleep well, that's, that's nonsense anyway for most people, mm-hmm. certainly of my age. They don't need mm-hmm. it. It's rubbish. Oh, a- absolutely. You know, um, I have I have a lot of conversation with colleagues of mine who are also believers in CBTI. And, and we just, we get so frustrated because we always get this influx of emails whenever whenever this sleep article hits the, hits the media and gets picked up, you know, and it's... And it's really problematic because it kind of feeds into all these sleep-related worries and anxieties that people with insomnia have. And we read these articles and then we become more worried. Um, and the problem is, is when, when I talk to the authors of content like this, they tell me, well, look, I wasn't aiming this at people with insomnia. I'm aiming it at people that are kind of burning the candle at both ends. You know, they're not getting enough sleep, yeah. but that's because of their lifestyle choice. But the problem is, is they're not the people that are reading these articles. The people that are reading these articles are the people with insomnia. And they don't want to be reading stuff that says, if you only get seven hours and 30 minutes of sleep, your chances of diabetes goes up or something like that, you know, because first of all, that's just going to lead to more worry. And second of all, the way the media kind of quotes these research articles, it's, it's, I like to, it's it's a little bit manipulative, I'm going to say it in a way, like the way they interpret the results, um, because at the end of the day, not one study has found that chronic insomnia causes any specific health problem whatsoever, you know, so sometimes they'll find associations, but these associations could be caused by anything you know it's kind of like saying that we found the people that have ashtrays in their houses are more likely to get lung cancer you know so but and then they'll start writing headlines ashtrays cause lung cancer 
you know, just because there's that association, but there's never uh, to this day, and I don't think there ever will be this research study that comes out and says chronic insomnia causes this, you know, because it doesn't exist. And this idea that we all need eight hours of sleep, I have no idea where this has come from. Um, No idea whatsoever. And every, everyone that I talk to that works with sleep patients, they don't really know either like where this whole myth mm. that we need eight hours of sleep comes from, because we all have individual sleep requirements. And one person might do great just getting five hours of sleep every night, whereas someone else might need, let's say, closer to nine. But the average, yeah. when we wire people up to all the machines, is normally closer to like six hours. So where we got yeah. this idea that we all should be striving for eight hours is completely beyond me. And as soon as we strive to get more sleep than we need or more sleep than we're actually capable of, often that can actually trigger sleep problems. Yeah, totally, yeah. Oh, and there was one, one, one more thing I wanted to uh, just highlight that you said, you know, was I like to, yeah. if I'm struggling with sleep, I might get out of bed and watch TV. Uh, it kind of reminded me of uh, this, what a client told me, and they have this acronym, okay? It's called WWANSD, and it stands for What Would a Normal Sleeper Do? So anytime, yeah, yeah. anytime she's struggling with sleep, like in bed struggling with sleep, she thinks, okay, what would a normal sleeper do? And so in her mind, yeah. she's like, well, a normal sleeper surely wouldn't still be in bed tossing and turning, fighting with the bed sheets for three hours. They'd probably get out of bed, maybe watch TV yeah. or read a book or something like that. So that's kind of her mm. attitude. She's had this mental shift. And I, th- and I think that's yeah. really interesting and really helpful too. Yeah, absolutely. That's totally true too. Yeah, yeah. I've got. To, you've got to ask me about the. I'm, I'm obsessed. Obsessiveness is interesting though, and I'm a bit. Yeah. Anyway, go on. I'll let you ask the question. <laughs> I know we'll ask one of the things. <laughs> yeah, go on. So let let's talk about this because uh, this was one of the reasons actually yeah. why I was really keen to get you on the podcast yeah. was because you yeah. felt that you had this realization or this epiphany this uh this moment of discovery where you related kind of like an obsessive personality or maybe um like a very ambitious personality trait with insomnia and sleep problems can you tell us a bit more about that yeah because i'm I'm quite i'm quite a successful person so i'm quite well Mm -hmm. off and i've got the author of this book and everything i'm i'm yeah i've done okay in life quite you know but um so that's good so that's interesting and i I got thinking particularly when i read your um forum i got the impression because you can tell by the way that people write there that most of them can write proper english even if they're american (laughs) (laughs) no but they can write proper english and they're intelligent people and they're probably quite successful but they might be quite controlling with it and obsessive now so here's the thing with me um so one day i was actually running in the park i just finished my run and something hit me i thought hang on a minute there's been times other times in my life where i've been because I was thinking about sleep a lot. And I, but this time, I was just starting to get better, actually. I was already on the road to recovery. And I thought, there's been times in my life when I've been obsessed about stuff. This the moment, it was obsession about the sleep and thinking about it and researching it and worrying about it. I hadn't slept the night, what was going to happen? And had I lost the ability to sleep and all this stuff? Yeah. And I thought, gosh, there's been about four or five other times in my life at certain times uh, where I became obsessed about other things. Um, and and it, then the, focus on thinking and thinking about it and wasted some small chunks of my life being like that and so I just thought it suddenly hit me one day at the end of this run and I thought gosh that's that's it you know and I've um, I've got there's this element of controlling because I'm because I'm quite successful quite controlling in my life people 
people meet me and you know and they think I'm I'm quite funny and they can be quite laid back. Well actually I'm I'm quite I'm quite driven actually. Mm-hmm. And um my, you know, my people are very close to me, like my wife and my best best friends might see it, other people wouldn't. But also it borders on sort of being a little bit obsessive and my 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 I'd say my brother and my father are both had strong elements of OCDs, as is my son too, actually. And um and I think it's sort of a trait. But once I realised that, and how obsessive and controlling I could be and focusing on something sleep and oh, thinking about it all the time, that was part that was a big chunk to my road to recovery yeah absolutely you know and it's something that i see as well and again it's one of these things that when you kind of scratch below the surface and think about a little bit more it it does make a lot of sense because let's say that we want to get ahead in our careers we'll retrain maybe we'll go to school we'll study we'll work hard um we sacrifice a lot of things because we get really focused on this end goal we can control our own destiny in that regard but when it comes to sleep we're struggling with sleep we're having a hard time with sleep it makes sense that in our experience when we've really focused on something and we've kind of made that our goal we've got there so then we focus on sleep we become really obsessed with sleep we think about all the things we can do to fix the problem and we try and control sleep but sleep doesn't work that way it's probably one of the things that works best the least attention we pay to it you know it's the complete opposite you know it's you can kind of compare it with um you know becoming healthier you know so losing weight or exercising more you do that by eating healthier foods or eating less or getting more more physical exercise in and then you'll reach your goal but with sleep if you try and control it and you kind of implement any kind of sleep effort it makes sleep almost impossible. And so that's why I think that these professional people, these very highly driven people tend to perhaps struggle with insomnia more than others. Yeah, I totally agree with it. And, uh, and actually, uh, that's, I, think, I think there must be some, I wish somebody would study that. I think there's something in it. And certainly reading the people who suffer from real, it's about real insomnia, real insomnia, people don't sleep at night. And looking at some of the people, the people who go and comment on your forum, I like that. This isn't just knocking around insomnia. This, is real, mm. this isn't like, you know, this is proper insomnia. And they all seem to be quite, I get the impression they're quite uh, successful, but they're also probably maybe quite controlling if they're honest about it. And that's why um, the elements of mindfulness involving not controlling, being in the moment, trusting in yourself, acceptance, letting go. Um, actually, um, although... Um, seem contrary to the Anglo-Saxon world, mm. our world of work and dr- being driven. It, it's something not bad about just giving yourself a bit of a break, actually. Mm. And it actually makes you, ironically, more successful, <laughs> even more, because it's, there are times we need to just let back, ease back, not control, be in the moment, trust ourselves. And um, that's why I think mindfulness and ACT slightly. But no, just the general elements of mind, mindfulness yeah. on a very flat level. Uh, adds to and complement CBTI actually, you know, cognitive behaviour therapy and sleep restriction. I think it all goes together, but it's important though for people who are very controlling to to let go and be accepted. I think uh, just whilst you were saying that, I just had this thought. One reason as well is why this obsession can be a problem, or like when we're really highly driven individuals, why that can be a problem is because so many of the times in the past when we've tried to reach a goal, we've been successful and we've reached that goal because of our efforts, and then when we try and transfer that to sleep we try to sleep we try to do i don't know we we implement a technique or a behavior to try and improve our sleep when it doesn't work 
then we become really worried because anytime we focused and tried something in the past we've been successful but now when we've applied this to sleep suddenly it's not and I think that can really lead to this worry oh well I must have lost my ability to sleep then there must be something seriously wrong here yeah exactly because we we, in our lives and our business lives we're trying A, I'll try it, it didn't work, and I'll try B, and eventually you do something that works, and you get to where you want to be in in your profession, or maybe you do something else, and my my career took a lot of different paths. In the end, I got to where I wanted to, got successful. To sleep, though, it doesn't work like that, you can't, you can't, you can, you can try all the tips and techniques you get in your Sunday papers, in the long article about sleep, but they probably won't work for you anyway, because they're not designed for proper people's real insomnia. And you get frustrated because it, won't, it, it defines control, doesn't it? It's one of these things, and that's the paradox. It totally defines con- controlling. And uh, when we, But when you realize this, and if you realize you're obsessive and a controlling person, just the realization of that is a big, is one of the big things for me, along with, like your comments, you will sleep in the end. It's natural as a core biological function. But realizing the obsessiveness, big part of, uh, of getting better. And there was 101 days since I had a nil sleep night. That's, all, that's right. awesome. That so, yeah, and I think I think you touched upon this earlier. You can just just give yourself permission to have that bad night. If you're finding a night yeah. where you're struggling, that's okay. Just give yourself permission to have a bad night, rather than always trying to control it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's what I do now. And um, yeah, sometimes. Um, you never know, it might come back. I, I don't know if it does, but I will always get sleep in the end. Mm-hmm. And I think knowing that, you know, because I've had periods where I got better and it's not, not as long as this. This is a really long period now. Hopefully it'll never come back. But if it does, I know I will sleep in the end. I've, I haven't lost my ability to sleep. Mm-hmm. And as long as I don't realize I can't uh, try to do too much controlling and, um, you know, then of, of it, then I'll be, I'll be coming along and I'll be, I'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's the right attitude to take. It's, it's so easy to fall into this idea where you, you kind of feel like you're getting your sleep back on track, but there's always that nagging doubt. Um, what's going to happen? How am I going to react if I have a bad night again? But it's completely normal to have a bad night. Everyone has them. So uh, if like a week down the road, a month down the road, a year down the road, you have a bad night again, it's not a sign that there's anything wrong. It's just to be expected that you're going to have a bad night every now and then. And as long as you don't fall back into that trap of worrying about it again and becoming obsessed and making that your focus, the chances are your sleep will just get right back on track all by itself. Yeah. Occasionally, if I've had the odd bad night now of little sleep, it's usually because I've had so much... I, I just let myself go and I've, I've slept too long the night before, yeah. like eight hours or something. And then, then usually I'm just not that tired, you know, because I don't need that much sleep and... It just happened that for eight hours, which is a lot for me. And so the next night, yeah, I'm probably not going to be that tired. So don't even think about trying to get to sleep much before 2 a.m. as you probably won't. And and I really, what's watching your body really, but without in a, without an over obsessive controlling way. I do think this this controlling obsessiveness is is a part of it for us who who struggle. Yeah, do. yeah, I think I agree with you. And also, when you have those bad nights, is just what you just described, you know, just recognizing any external cause, not spending a lot of time dwelling on it, maybe just like a few seconds if you have a bad night. Oh, was there anything obvious that could have caused this? Maybe you had a tight deadline at work, or maybe you've been out with friends yeah. that night, or you watched a horror movie or something. And if, if there's that yeah. external cause, then you know 
that, well, that that was the problem. But at the same time, if sometimes there isn't, sometimes our bodies just decide, huh, you're, you're not going to get much sleep tonight and there's nothing we can do about it. So it really is a case of uh, just kind of accepting and trusting that the amount of sleep that the body generates for us in any given night is the amount of sleep that the body is just determined that we need on that given night. Yeah, yeah. I, I spent a lot of time thrashing around trying to find a cause, causes of it, and it wasn't necessarily an obvious cause when I was really bad, but that was because I was so worried about it and trying to control it all the time mm-hmm. that um, that was that was creating the, the problem. But of course, the big thing was realizing I would sleep in the end. You know, I would. It would come. And actually, you know what, Martin? I could often get a lot of things done, despite the fact that I bugger all sleep, or sometimes little sleep, none, no sleep sometimes. I could get a surprising amount done, actually. Mm. I could still get through stuff. And it's still sort of, it wasn't as if I... I'm self-employed after, so I'm a bit fortunate in this regard. I, I, I could have a, you know, I could ease back a bit. But usually, I have to go to work. But I still get quite an awful lot done, as much done anyway, as I would probably in a normal day. Um, you know, so it would be okay. Sometimes the only thing that would, might affect me if I had a nil sleep night was I didn't feel like going out the following mm-hmm. night on a social occasion. Occasionally that was hard. And sometimes I had the odd time when it was very bad, I didn't do those things. But I tried to just put, push through, you know, as best I could. But I, I can get a surprising amount done. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think that's a really big insight because we, when we have insomnia, we really kind of look to see the negative impacts of sleep on our day mm-hmm. when really it tends not to have a, as big of an impact as we think and this is one reason why I really encourage people to try not to modify their day in response to a bad night of sleep because when we do that you know when we call in sick or if we cancel plans with friends we're basically guaranteeing that that bad night of sleep is going to have a negative impact on us whereas if we yeah. just try and go about our day as normal it might it it will probably be a little bit more difficult no doubt about it i'm not trying to downplay this but we might notice a few good moments we might notice an okay moment or or a moment where we smile or where we laugh or a really productive moment or that breakthrough at work and that can just remind us and reinforce the idea that our day isn't completely dependent on our sleep we can just like we can have a really bad day after a great night of sleep. We can have a good day after a really bad night of sleep too. Yeah, or an okay day. Yeah, and actually, one of the things I think sometimes was even when it was really bad, I'd have to say I have a night of nil sleep, and then the next night I'd always sleep. And um, I'd often feel, gosh, I feel so energy, so good, and so grateful for that. And obviously, and look around and see all the beauty in the world, and mm-hmm. you know, go in the park and really enjoy, and just yeah, you know, I'm still okay, you know. So it actually made me appreciate life a bit more rather than just taking it for for granted, actually. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like, um, you know, so now I'm feeling much better. I really take things for granted and uh, just so grateful of, you know, it's back normal and knowing that, you know, you know, this thing is this curse or this obsession is, is all it is, is a bit of an obsession, yeah. really. And, um, you know, I do think it's important to realize that people don't, like, for me, I'm sleeping well, five and a half, six hours is fine, and I feel great, and I really don't need any more than that. Mm. If I try to, I just lie there. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's crazy to want any more. And I've, I've long since, got, I've realized that for quite a long time anyway, because mm-hmm. that's all I've ever really had anyway, even since I was about 18, 20. Mm-hmm. So I never really slept that much. 
Yeah. So are there any techniques like either from CBTI or ACT that you're still regularly implementing? Or is it just a case of you're really not doing anything, not really thinking about sleep anymore and you're just kind of going about, you know, just listening to your own body in terms of when to go to bed and when to get out of bed? I, as, a, as a wind down routine, I tend to stick to that. Not over obsessive, and I don't, I, I don't, I won't go to bed at a certain time. It's roughly, you know, around about between eleven and twelve. But if I'm out with some friends until two a.m., fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't change my life. Right. Um, I have a little wind down, and I have a bath, a warm bath, and uh, just do all that, and I just sit down, chill out on the sofa, watch TV, often fall asleep, and stay on the sofa. This is quite important. Um, it's very comfy, and I, and I don't necessarily go to my bed. Mm-hmm. And if I stay there and I'm all night. It's okay, and uh, I think I think that's fine. And that's the big thing. And um, so if I'm in bed or I'm in, on the sofa, as long as I get to sleep, it's fine. Mm. Whatever. There's other times you can go to bed and do the things that we like to do in bed. There's other times for mm-hmm. that. Um, so I do that, and um, I always think that um, realizing, as I said before, you will sleep in the end. It's a natural function. If I don't sleep one night, I'll sleep the next. Yours. I haven't lost it, mm-hmm. and I realized that from what you said. Eventually, from my own experience experience the importance of realizing about um that i'm a kind of controlling person i think a lot of people with really bad insomnia are and to accept and be in the moment all the mindfulness stuff i often i really think that john kabat's in the seven attitudes of mindfulness youtube is brilliant you don't have to learn all about mindfulness just listen to that that's all it is mm-hmm. that's all it is you know don't bother going on a body if you want to go on an eight-week course it's very relaxing <laughs> but that's his thing explains it cbti um, yeah, keeping a diary was good. Um, I did that, and I occasionally do it now, even when I'm really well, just to realize how good life is. Um, um, sleep restrictions sometimes. Yeah, I try to keep my sleep down to, if I am tempted to keep on for more than six hours, I tend to try and force myself to get up have a cup of tea, because if I sleep too long, it might be the next night, it might be a problem. Mm. So those are the things I do. Yeah. And also avoid reading any nonsense in our so-called quality papers about sleep, because most, most of it is rubbish. Yeah, really. Yeah, absolutely. I just I was keen to ask you that question because uh, a, a lot of questions I get, well, the, a question that I get quite often is, do I have to follow these techniques or these rules for the rest of my life? So I try and explain that, no, they're more just, we use them because they will help get your sleep back on track in the shortest time possible. But as your sleep improves in response, that's not something that you have to follow for the rest of your life. You don't have to follow that prescribed out of bedtime or even the one hour wind down time or avoiding naps if you don't want to once your sleep improves. But the great thing about the techniques is that should your sleep ever become a problem again in the future, because you're now familiar with the techniques that worked for you in the past, you can just kind of pull them out of your back pocket and just implement them again yeah. in order to get your sleep back on the right track correct yeah listen i'm not and also i have to say uh i'm not i mean in terms of like i don't practice mindfulness i i don't sit down and have 10 minutes mindful time i'm just not that kind of person i'm too driven and i'm too too much going on and my mind is always whizzing around um but, you know but i just you know what i do do is i will say sometimes yeah i've, had, I've done quite a bit today yeah, and I could do that as well. But you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just sorry. I'm going to finish at four today. I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to just give myself a bit of a break and chill out, chill, chill mm-hmm. a bit, you know, because there's always another day. And I'm so that's the, that's the only thing I do do. But I wouldn't say I'm, I'm, not, I'm very on, on, on Zen-like, really. But 
I, I have given myself to cut myself a bit of slack. I think people should do do that. If they just if they just get out from mindfulness, that's enough. They don't need to go on a long course. But just just give yourself a bit of a break. Mm-hmm. And um, but these are things I bring back. Are you right though? You can dig them out. You, you know what they are, and, um, and you use them where appropriate. Some of the people recommend in your book that book by Guy Meadows. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's basically mindfulness acceptance, really, right. combined with CBT. But it's all good. And your New York forum has been good to read from other people's experiences mm-hmm. as well. Good, good supportive stuff there. Sometimes I look at that, not so much these days. Now again. I really appreciate you, you sharing your story with us because I think you've given us this slightly different insight because we focused on the obsession with sleep and how that can kind of feed into insomnia and touched upon ACT as an alternative or as a supplement to CBTI. Yeah. And I think you've given some great resources. You shared some good resources like the, the uh, Zin video and a couple of good books. So I'll make sure they get in the, the notes as well so people can yeah. check them out. So so yeah, I really do appreciate you spending the time to, to come on. Before you go, I know I've taken a lot of your time, but there's this one question that I always like to ask right at the end uh, of all the podcast yeah. episodes. So if someone with chronic insomnia is listening to this and they feel as though they've tried everything, they're beyond help, they can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? That's good. Um, uh, I would say... Sleep will come in the end. Just get through it. it. Sleep will come. You've not lost the ability uh, to sleep. No one does. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think that would be the one thing that, that I would say mm-hmm. uh, to them. And to just possibly let go of their, their need to control it as far as they can. It's not easy to do this. Um, but that's part of it. The sleep will come in the end. Mm-hmm. It will come. And they haven't, they haven't lost the ability. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us today, David. I think it's been really helpful. I think a lot of people are going to relate to to your story, um, and I'm hoping that it will inspire them and just give them some motivation and give them some hope that just as you got through your insomnia, they can too. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to implement cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia CBTI techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with unlimited support and guidance and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. I will teach you and help you implement new CBTI techniques over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice. And we come up with an initial two week plan that will have you implementing CBTI techniques that will lead to long term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half hour follow up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep. <laughs>